Introducing touch-free payments from PayPal, a safe way for your customers to pay. Whether you're a market seller, I'll take two tomatoes and a cucumber. poodle pamperer, <laughs> piano tuner, or plumber. Signing up to accept touch-free payments for your business is easy. Simply download the PayPal app and display your own unique QR code for your customers to scan. Touch-free QR code payments. No seller fees until 2021. Not applicable to PayPal here transactions. Other fees may apply. Shop safe with PayPal. I am your host, K-Town, and you're listening to 7 Disturbing Chronicle Stories of Scary, Paranormal, and Horror Tales. Most killers will commit their crime and make a damn run for it. But there are those who feel the need to do some pretty creepy things with the bodies of the deceased. They will often hide the corpses, thinking that they are somehow more clever than the police. Sometimes they will keep the dead close or even underfoot. There is no telling why some murderers feel the need to hide their victims when, as history shows us, many bodies are discovered and their murderers are eventually caught. The victims on this list were no exception. However, even though some of these killers knew that they may be caught unbelievably, they tried it anyway. Here are some of those cases. Out of London in 1946 came the news of a mother's terrible loss. Mrs. Beresford owned a home and rented out rooms to loggers. Her son Harry was a 19-year-old soldier. One day, Harry stopped by his mother's home and he met one of the loggers who seemed to think he was the king of his mother's house. There must have been some kind of dispute because Harry was never seen alive again. After some time passed, Harry was listed as a deserter, but his mother could scarcely believe it. Maybe he was hiding in his bedroom, she thought. After all, the logger who thought he ran the house kept her son's bedroom door locked and prevented her from entering it. After two months had passed, Mrs. Beresford forced the door open. She could not see her son in the room, but she did see a loose footboard. She lifted the footboard and put her hand inside. She thought she felt a need, but she wasn't sure. After some time, she visited the room several more times and began to notice a disagreeable smell. She finally realized the awful truth and informed police. The logger who lived in her house was promptly arrested and charged with murder. Early in the 20th century, when women committed murder, it was a shocking event because people felt that a woman couldn't commit such a heinous crime. In 1915, Mrs. Mary Panamus allowed a crippled peddler into her apartment while her husband was away. The peddler, Michael Weinstein, threatened to reveal to her husband some very personal letters she had written, and it was enough to send her into a panic and murder the man. Normally, when someone commits a murder, they either go on the run or they get rid of the body. But Mrs. Panamus had other ideas. Instead, she dragged the body into her bedroom and stuffed it in the box couch. That night, after her husband returned home, they both slept in the bedroom where the body was hidden. The next day, 
While her husband was out of the apartment, Mrs. Panamus pulled the body out of the box couch. She then proceeded to chop the corpse up into little pieces, wrap each piece neatly in newspaper, and then place them right back in the box couch. Being ever busy, Mrs. Panamus rented a new apartment the same day and arranged for a new trunk to be delivered so that she could move the body parts. The only problem was that she wanted to make a run for it, and she told her husband what she had done that night. Being a good man, apparently, her husband spent the rest of the night begging her to surrender to police. By day three, she was in the police station, confessing to every gruesome detail. Dr. Pierre Borgrat had a medical practice in France back in 1925, and by all outward appearances, he seemed to be an upstanding citizen until his money problems got the best of him. First, the doctor cheated on his wife and eventually divorced her. As with almost all new marriages, things were great at first, but their spending habits exceeded their income, and soon he was accused of writing bad checks. At his practice, there were other weird things happening. For example, one of his patients stopped by to visit him, and he was never seen again. Another patient, a woman, came forward and claimed that the doctor had tried to poison her. After she had lent him a sizable amount of money. As suspicions began to reach the ears of the police, officers went to arrest Dr. Borgrat for writing a series of bad checks. With him in their custody, they searched his office. Nothing seemed out of order except for a strange, damp spot along one of the walls. It piqued the interest of police, and they stripped the wallpaper back to discover a hidden cupboard. They opened it, and out fell the body of the man that disappeared earlier. The young man's wallet, said to have contained a large sum of cash, was missing. The doctor, of course, had an excuse for the body in the cupboard. He claimed that the young man had come to him, worrying having lost a large sum of money. He asked me if I could lend him some money, he said. I did my best to calm him, and left the surgery for a few minutes. And when I came back, he was dead. I was afraid I would be accused of his murder, so I hid his body in the cupboard, which I papered over. Dr. Borgrat was arrested, and as he awaited trial, the police found evidence that he may have also murdered a cook, an American bar manager, and a hospital nurse. Next up, we have Fred Etchley. Fred Etchley of St. Paul, Minnesota, was a drunk and an ex-convict. He also couldn't survive without stealing from others. Then one day, he found himself the perfect victim. Fred met and murdered another St. Paul man inside the victim's shack in 1908, blowing the top of his head clean off with his shotgun. It was alleged that Fred took $70 from the victim's pocket and then he buried the body under the shack's floorboards. And without skipping a damn beat, Fred made himself right at home. He ate the victim's food and slept in the shack with the dead body beneath his feet. Before long, people became suspicious, and while Fred was out, the police raided the home and discovered 
the victim's body. Fred was captured and confessed to the murder, claiming that he could not be held fully responsible for the murder because he was a drunk. When asked about the money, Fred said it did him little good. A pickpocket stole the money shortly after Fred murdered the man, while Fred was again drunk. Next, we have Pierre Vorbeau. Pierre was known by his acquaintances to be a bit of an oddball, but they never expected that there was a monster within the man until 1869. Pierre needed money and, as always, had borrowed a large sum from a friend. Knowing that he could not pay the old man back, he did the next best thing, he thought. Pierre invited the man over to his Paris apartment for coffee. Upon entering the apartment, Pierre hit the man with a flat iron and then cut his throat. He then dissected the body and dumped the body parts into a nearby well. In an effort to prevent police from ever identifying the man, Pierre took the man's decapitated head and poured molten lead into the mouth and ears. He later sank the head to the bottom of the river. Fortunately, Pierre was discovered and confessed to his gruesome crime. It was believed that he may have committed 10 previous murders as well, but it was never thoroughly proven. And Pierre, while awaiting trial, managed to slit his own throat with a knife that had been hidden inside a loaf of bread. Mrs. Winnie Ruth. The police searched for Mrs. Winnie Ruth Judd for five days following the discovery of two women she was accused of murdering back in 1931. Unbeknownst to authorities, she was hiding among the coffins in an undertaker's establishment until starved and frightened, she decided to turn herself in to the Los Angeles police. According to Mrs. Judd, she had gotten into an argument with friends. After having a night of celebration, one of the women pulled out a gun and shot Mrs. Judd through her hand. She wrestled with the two women and got the gun away from them. At that point, she shot both of them. Mrs. Judd, if her story was true, should have gone straight to the police at that moment, but she didn't. Instead, she decided to take it up a notch, and she hacked the two women into pieces, placed them into two traveling trunks, and while wearing a disguise, booked the trunks onto a Southern Pacific Railway. Charles Travis, age 21, was an American on vacation with his wife in London. They had their 10-month-old son with them, but the young couple were not fit for the duties of parents. The child, Dean, cried quite often during the night while they were in London. A doctor was called in, and the father insisted that the baby had scarlet fever, but the doctor assured him that his son was healthy and merely had some mild skin irritation. For another three weeks, the child would cry at night, as most young children do. But the father had had enough. One night, Charles awoke to the crying, got out of bed, and went into his son's room. Looking down upon his face, he placed his hand over his mouth, squeezed his nose shut, and pressed down on his windpipe until the child ceased to breathe. The next morning, Charles put his child's body into a kit bag 
and left on a train to Birmingham, where he then dropped the bag off at a coat room, gave a false name, and returned by train to London. Later that evening, Charles got word to his parents that his son had died from scarlet fever. Meanwhile, the landlady of the place that they were staying at became suspicious when she no longer heard the baby crying. The police were brought in and questioned the parents, who claimed that the infant was being cared for by some friends. However, the inspector didn't believe him, and eventually he got Charles to confess to murder. Charles was arrested and sent to trial. He was found not guilty of murder, but was convicted and sentenced to five years penal servitude for manslaughter. After committing murders, some killers would go the extra mile, or hundreds of miles, just to get rid of the body, such as the case where human remains were discovered in an irrigation channel. Mr. Crawford, a channel guard, was making his rounds one day as he walked along the banks of a channel in Canada. He noticed a brand bag in water and went to check it out. On opening the bag, he discovered the body parts of a human being, and the police were immediately contacted. The police uncovered a terrible sight. The torso was dressed in two shirts and disemboweled. The head was cut off, and both of the victim's legs had been severed at the thighs. It was determined that the body parts had been in the water for about two months. Being that this happened way before DNA analysis was available, there was no way to identify the body, and it was assumed that it may have been a former resident of a nearby county. The case was just another mystery, and all they could do was take the remains to the coroner. Have you ever dealt with someone who was so annoying that you pictured yourself doing some sort of bodily harm to that person. I think everybody's had a dark fantasy like that every now and again, but James Hazelton followed through with his urge. Mr. Hazelton and his wife got into an argument in their home in New Haven, Connecticut. It was a stupid argument like most, and his wife began dredging up past offenses. Mr. Hazelton could not take it anymore, and in the most cold-blooded fashion, he hit her over the head with a hammer. His wife collapsed, and while she was blacked out, he grabbed a knife and stabbed her. After he was certain that she was dead, Mr. Hazelton stuffed her body in a large trunk, and without an ounce of remorse, he slept on top of the trunk for several nights. Finally, he threw a quilt on top of it and went on the run. After being captured in New York City, Mr. Hazelton confessed to his crimes, saying, Yes, I killed her because we could not get along together. Thank you for listening to this edition of Seven. Make sure you subscribe on Apple Podcasts so you never miss an episode. I am your host, K-Town, and I'll see you next time on Seven. Queen Latifah and more. Get ready, y'all. 
The Kelly Clarkson Show, all new season two. Weekdays at two on NBC4. Right now, switch your family to T-Mobile and get four lines for $25 a line with AutoPay and 5G access included on America's largest 5G network. So don't wait. Get unlimited and nationwide 5G access for the whole family for just $25 a line. Visit a T-Mobile store or T-Mobile.com today. Plus taxes and fees. Customers may notice lower speeds and further reduction if using over 50 gigs a month due to data prioritization. Video at 480p. Unlimited while on our network. Qualifying credit and full plus lines required. Capable device required for 5G. Coverage not available in some areas. Some uses may require certain features. See T-Mobile.com.